Hey guys, it's Cathy from Geek Girl Meetup UK and you're joining me for Geek Girl Meets, the podcast where we sit down with inspirational women in tech to hear about their careers in order for you to learn more that might then change your own career paths or inspire you and just generally make a change and educate you and kind of plan out what you want to do. Today I am joined by Alice Tyler who is one of the co-founders of Open Utility and is currently the Chief Product Officer, but we'll have a little bit more on why we're saying currently soon. Alice, thank you for joining me. Pleasure. Morning. First question is, what did you want to be when you were growing up? So I didn't know what I wanted to be when I was growing up. I don't think many people do. Um, And apart from my brother, he always seemed to want to be in advertising. I don't know how he got that. I think he just liked watching adverts. The... I think the key to how I managed to get here was I just followed what I enjoyed doing and it led to being a designer. Just, I remember this kind of pivotal moment when I was looking through university application books with my mum and I had, my A-levels were chemistry, history, design and uh, an AS in maths. So I was like, well, the only things I'm good at are chemistry and design. So it's going to be one of these two things if I'm going to do a degree and reading the two course notes, it was quite clear that chemistry looked really boring and design looked like a load of fun. So I was like, well, it's kind of obvious I go do a design degree and that's how I've kind of ended up here. Okay. And where did you go and study for your design degree? So I went to Glasgow School of Art, looked at all of the product designed courses in the UK at the time and had like a short list. Uh, Nottingham uh, had a really good course that I think I thought was pretty good and uh, the, the the Glasgow course there was just something about it that I don't know just sounded just sounded like it fit me and what I was interested in so it had a lot of um, social context stuff so um, yeah it was started that in 2004 and graduated 2008. Okay And for those that don't know, when you go and you do a a degree in design or product design, you know, what what are you actually learning? What's the kind of what's the key part of the course? Right. It's it's design process. So you learn every brief you get, every project you do is practicing just the process of going through the kind of stages of design. So you sort of start by trying to understand the brief, trying to understand the problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, researching what that is and that might be uh, you know internet-based research or actually going and looking at the problem talking to people a mixture of that Uh, then you sort of go through the how might I solve this problem stage where you come up with ideas the key thing about Glasgow uh, was that they were really big on the kind of user testing Um, you have to test your idea with the people who are going to use it part not all of the courses I think do this so that was a big part of the process that we went through and we had to, you know, we actually had, if you didn't hand in a project that had tested your idea with people, you weren't going to get a good grade. And they were actually really, really harsh on marking that hardly anyone leaves this course with like a first. It's, you know, it's like one first every other year in this oh, course wow. and there's, you know, 30 students a year. So you'd have thought there'd be more, but they're really quite strict on, on their kind of marking process, which in, at the time you're kind of like, this is cruel. And actually in hindsight, like, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's not that easy to do. Then you've also got to learn how to present your idea and the communication of how your solution solves that problem is quite a key part because if you can't tell someone how your solution solves the problem, then no one's going to understand it. Yeah. 
No, you can see that being really, really So a lot of presentation you, at the end of, during every project and at the end of projects you're presenting to your class. So you're sort of doing presentations, designing the content and giving it at least every other month for four years, plus a big one at the end where you kind of present your final project. Yeah. So you come out with quite a range of skills, but just understanding the design process is the biggest thing you get and the freedom to research different areas that interest you. And that, that was quite useful for me because um, I, where I am now in the, in the energy industry and um, all of the problems I'm interested in today came from all of the research I did at uni. So from second year uni, I sort of learned what climate change was and what it, what it meant to sort of design sustainably and design for sustainability. And that theme then carried on through the, my last two years in all of my final year projects because you're allowed to do whatever you like. You can choose your briefs and design your own briefs and then into my career as well. Okay. So 2008, yep. graduate. Yeah, into um, the recession. Yeah. 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 I started uni around about that time, looking at it and going, oh, job prospects have all disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Great. 2008, you graduate. Yeah. And Open Utility's been going for about three years now, right? Yeah. So what was the, the run-up? How did you find and come across the opportunity to become a part of Open Utility? So I left uni, yeah, 2008, into a recession, and <clears throat> I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I didn't know then either even though I had this degree I knew what I didn't want to do so I knew I didn't want to go and be a product designer so I had a product design degree um, and most product designers the traditional sense is you know you design the phones or you might design sort of uh, kitchen gadgets and stuff it's kind of a traditional product designer and a lot of our, my friends and the course was focused also, also around service design which is around designing processes and going into companies and figuring out where their processes and systems could be improved which also did interest me but I didn't want to do it sort of solidly I I knew I wanted to work take my design skills and put them into sort of sustainable design and at the time I couldn't really find any agencies or, or companies doing anything like that but I found this company called More Associates who um, I got introduced to by uh, a friend at the time who knew the guy who was running it uh, and uh, I'd written my dissertation on energy monitors in the home, really catchy title, um, and he had been part of the product team, the, the design team for a, a product called Onzo, which is a home energy monitor. So she introduced us, and we got talking, and we sort of realised that, yeah, okay, uh, I could have an internship with him, and he would um, sort of introduce me to the world of sustainable sort of design, and uh, so I stayed there for just around three years. The first year was quite sort of internship, not a lot going on. I mean, I was just really fortunate that I'm from London so I could live at home. I'm just really lucky and um, appreciate the parents who, you know, kept me fed during that time. Um, and then it kind of, it turned into a proper job when we got funding to do a project called Carbon Culture. So the idea of Carbon Culture is that offices, like this one they're sitting in, they use a lot of energy and there's an opportunity there to save energy and money through helping the staff understand how the building works and to save uh, to save energy through their actions. So kind of like a looking at behaviour change of staff yeah. and how small actions can add up to a big um, energy savings, but specifically in an office, and most people are looking at the home context. 
So that project sort of took about two, was two years, and it was really interesting. I was not the only designer on it, but one of one of a group of us. Um, but I would say that even though the idea is good and we, you know, we had some good ideas that did have some nice impacts, for example, there was one around how to help. The, the project was actually in the headquarters of the Department of Energy and Climate Change, and they have a canteen there. And so one of the projects was around how can we encourage the guys in the canteen to eat less meat? Because although that doesn't save the building carbon, it sort of saves the company carbon and, and carbon in general. And that was one of the ones I think interested me most. The, the problem with the whole project is that we didn't quite, you know, there was no business model behind the idea. It was, quite, it was you know, government funded. We did a test, we ran, we ran the experiment, which was the whole project. But, you know, the outcome was not, oh yeah, people are going to start paying for this because it saves so much money or something like that. So we, yeah. we didn't really find product market fit. And so the, I sort of took a step back and was like, okay, I'm not going to go much further in this company at the moment um so I'm going to leave and a lot of us left at the same time as well actually I took a decision to leave the world of the sustainable bubble which I was enjoying but I knew that there was a bigger world out there full of more designers and uh so I went and I was like I want to work in an agency and get some agency experience and it's got gonna have nothing to do with sustainability but that's fine because it's about experience so I went and I got a job at Mint Digital at the time, they were about 30, but they're, they're down to about 15 at the moment. And that's something that happens with agencies. They grow and they shrink all the time. And uh, I spent just under two years there working on different projects, some charities, some big companies. One key one that I really enjoyed was working with Tesco, and I never thought I'd say that. But <laughs> I did. It was an interesting project because they came to us sort of saying they wanted to help their customers eat healthier and save money. So they'd come with a problem, and that was really fun. We went through a design process that at Mint we were calling four days to launch, where you uh, you, you do a couple of months' research to get all of your kind of ideas and um, uh, everything you need to know collected before you start, and you lock yourself away, essentially, with the client. And um, a bunch of you go through a design process in four days, and you come out with a prototype at the end of it. And that's quite a fun way of getting to a minimal viable product really quickly. But I was a new mint was never going to be a long long term job. And then I was uh, I'd gone down to four days a week, and I was doing something called um, National Gardening Leave. It's a concept by the no New Economics Foundation. They have this concept called National Gardening Leave, and they say you know if everybody did four worked four days and did one day gardening or being outside. Everyone would be a little bit happier, a little bit healthier. So I'd kind of taken this concept and thought, I'll give that a go, because I'm actually kind of interested in gardening. So I was doing four days a week, and then Andy, uh, an old colleague from Carbon Culture, more associates days, rang me up, and who's, he's still been a friend ever since. But he said, I've met this guy called James, and he's got this idea, can we come over and talk to you about it? And that was really the beginning. So I spent the afternoon, they were telling me, uh, James was explaining how... He'd been doing this research for his PhD. He'd figured out that energy could be traded just like the internet. Um, and it's not currently traded like that, but it could be. And it would sort of revolutionise the energy industry. And uh, they had come to me because James had the idea. Andy knew how to build it. He's, a, he's, a, he's the current CTO. Um, but they knew that it needed to work. People would need to interact with it, be able to understand it if it's going to 
be a good idea. So they got me on early. That's that's how that started. Awesome. So three years on, you are now the current chief product officer. Chief and we were discussing this briefly before pressing record. Yeah. You said current. And it's very much that kind of like typical startup. You're a co-founder. You go into slightly different roles all of the time dependent on the needs of the company yeah. and what you're building. So can you tell us a little bit more about you know what is your current day-to-day what are you doing and how often are you kind of going into slightly different roles as a co-founder? Yeah. So going into different roles every half an hour, which actually can be quite confusing for yourself and your, your teammates as well. I think we're trying to get to, to a position where people understand when I'm, when I'm wearing which hat or when any of us are wearing which hat. On a day-to-day basis, um, you'd be amazed how much... QA I do so in the when you're building a digital product uh, you have to test everything before anything gets released so actually I spend quite a lot of time doing QA um, but at the moment we're at a really interesting time because we've we're coming to the end of our government funded pilot and we have started negotiating with our first utility partner that they will they would like to continue um, and they'd like to pay us to continue the service so this is pretty momentous time for us because unlike when we were doing the saving carbon in the building um, project a couple of years back, it's now clear that there is a benefit in this in this idea. Um, at the moment, the benefits with the utility companies. So we're going to work with that for now because that's you know we've kind of found product market fit. So the, the market is any utility company that sells renewable energy, and the product is what we've got at the moment, which is called Piclo, which is which helps those utility companies show their customers where their energy came from. So at the moment, um, they'll go into a meeting, let's say they're selling to um, the Arab offices in London and Manchester, and they want them to buy their energy from, from this company. They currently don't, they can say it's all renewable, and they can say it's all from UK renewable sources, but there's really nothing to sort of prove it. Yeah. There's, some, there's something called a rego, which is the technical proof, but that no one really works in those. It's kind of in the back, in the quiet. So they hand over their quote saying, you can pay us this much and we'll give you renewable energy. And it doesn't really feel any different to the other energy that that is cheaper. No, and you can't touch it. It doesn't smell different or anything. So what what our product does is it helps them change that conversation from buy our renewable energy. It's a bit more expensive at the moment to buy our renewable energy. And (laughs) look, you're going to be able to see it and touch it and, you know, interact with it more than you could ever do if it was just coming from the, you know, the coal coal fire station down the, down the road or from, you know, generic um, mix that you'll never know. And that's currently where we found value. So our my day to day right now is is helping the design team translate our pilot project and the things we built to test into the commercial service that we'll hopefully have up and running by July. So, for example, we tested some features that we do, we're not going to keep. So we need to strip some things out and re- reorganise some things. So it's essentially going through a redesign of the product, which is taking up a lot of time at the moment. Cool. So in terms of kind of the, the role that you're currently doing and looking back at kind of the degree and working in design, working in product, what do you think are some of the kind of key attributes that someone would need in order to be great at building product or working within a product team i would say the key things would be understanding the design process so i actually think that it's 
it's the thing that an entrepreneur does. Uh, I think it's the same as what a designer does. It's just um, in a different context. The the benefit if you if you fully understand the process and uh, you can apply it to any problem. So if your problem were like Uber's problem, how do you get you know person A to location B? It's a design process you go through, and if and if you're interested in sort of working in startups, and that, from my point of view, would be a very sensible place to start because it gives you the skills to know how to go through the different stages and to get feedback at the same time. So one of the things that is a hard lesson to learn, but I learned it thankfully back at uni and not currently, was to get feedback is a really tough process to go through because often. It can you can take it personally, but it's not meant personally. If someone says I don't understand how to use your product, then they're, they're not saying I hate you. They're just saying it's a bit confusing. Um, and to to know how to go through the process of collecting the feedback, understanding it, and then using it to improve is uh, incredibly important. And I think that's something that I learned at uni can bring to the team now. And what would you say to someone who is? maybe at GCSE level, so kind of 16 through to 18, looking at kind of mapping out where they next want to go in their career, and design is something that they're interested in. Is there anywhere that you would kind of point them to find out some more information, or is there something, you know, you can start kind of doing at that age that might give you an idea of what's to come a little bit further on down the line? Yeah, that's it's interesting. I I don't know actually. I don't know how much the design education has changed since I went through it. So, for example, uh, I did a, I did design technology, you know, the classic woodwork stuff at uh, GCSE, and then I did it at A level as well. And I was one of three because I was in an all girls school, so it was one of three of us in the in the A level class. Not that that bothered me much, but there wasn't really anywhere then. I'm trying to think if I know of anywhere now. I mean. There are companies, so like there's a design council and they run some interesting courses and classes. There's probably a lot more out there now than there was when I was there. So, for example, if you were interested in sort of user experience design, which is one way of qualifying what I do, General Assembly or you know other places like that run courses on how to, to turn it because I'm not sure that school systems quite caught up with the fact that you can do digital product design which is essentially what UX design is. I don't know if you would get that at school. You might end up still having to work with, with wood and metal and then figure it out at uni, but yeah. I don't actually know. Okay. So design council and general assembly. I mean, general assembly is great for so many things. Yeah. So it's worth having a look at. I'm trying to... I mean, I looked sometimes... I was looking at the other day on the IDEO website, and I think they have some kind of online courses around design process. So IDEO is sort of long-standing uh, design company kind of an icon and uh, you know if you're going to learn design process that'd be a really good place to maybe start what's your biggest piece of career advice that you would give to anyone so something that you've learned coming out of uni going into the working world was kind of like one key lesson that's kind of stays with you that you would pass on to anyone who's maybe just graduating or looking at making a career change focus on what you enjoy is pretty much the one thing that has followed me through. So, and stay while you're learning. But if you're not learning anymore, then then that's probably a sign that something's not right. I mean, I was I was still learning at Mint when I left, but I I knew that there would be you know it wasn't 
interesting me as as much as it wasn't solving the right problems basically uh i i enjoy solving um problems and the problems that uh clients from mint were coming to us were, were not problems that interested me very much at all so i'm interested in the problem of how do we solve this thing called the energy trilemma which is the fact that we need uh, cheap, affordable and decarbonised um, and secure energy and we don't currently have that and that's a big problem for us in the future. So that problem interests me and, uh, and that, so I followed, I followed, into, followed places where I will learn um, and that uh, I enjoy working at and then if that ever stops and that's kind of a sign that I'm look, I need to look for something else. So following on from the kind of core energy, sustainable, renewable sources, every, that whole thing that you've kind of followed through your career, what else inspires you? I think I've already sort of said it. I'm inspired by problems, essentially. So they could be big problems like the one I'm working on at work or little problems like how do we redesign our kitchen to work the most efficiently for you know humans going from the sink to the hob you know those are little problems that I like solving as well I mentioned earlier I'm kind of I'm into gardening from a kind of food production point of view so uh, I follow people that are kind of into how to grow food in the UK um, and uh, they inspire me to do it myself but essentially I think I just sort of look around and Getting out away from your desk is also quite inspiring, even if it's just making a cup of tea. Like Often ideas come when you try and you stop trying to think of what the solution is. Yeah. It's that old classic idea that your brain is continuously working on something, even though it's not at the forefront of your mind. I remember being told that when I was revising for GCSEs and A-levels. It'd be like, right, do your revision, then put your books away, do something else, and you'd be surprised how much stays with you because your mind keeps thinking about it. Oh yeah, no, it's a very, very good piece of advice. I think we're all, um, in the working world, we're all terrible at just staring at screens and there's only so much that cats on the internet can inspire you moving forward. So <laughs> you kind of need to work on that. So I think a kind of uh, one quick thing to kind of wrap up on is obviously we've talked about, you know, stepping away from a screen, moving around and in general kind of what inspires you. But are there certain resources that you're using on a daily basis or you're checking in with regularly that on a design product and even on an entrepreneurship startup co-founder level are useful and provide you with information that almost kind of acts as another form of inspiration? So, you know, what are the things that you kind of read or listen to that help you in your kind of continual Um, development so there's a lot of um, spending a lot of time at work at the moment reading books around how to build teams and the different ways to build teams I can't think of any of the titles right now but I can send a a list through so we when we started open utility one of the uh, key drivers mainly coming from Andy but um, supported and uh you know, James and I are really interested as well, is how do you make a successful company with without building in that hierarchy that puts certain people at the top and doesn't allow flexibility within the team working. So that there's a lot of books we're reading around that and the processes involved with how do you start a team in that way. Um, and that's... Uh, I got a book for Christmas, which is kind of inspiring at the moment. Uh, it's Blink by Malcolm Gladwell and... I'm really enjoying the the experiments, the social experiments it describes about how our subconscious works. 
because when it comes to my day-to-day job and sort of doing user testing and trying to figure out what when they, when someone says something what do they actually mean it's an interesting process to go through and how the subconscious works is something interesting to learn about so I'm enjoying that. Um, when I'm just uh, relaxing or so I'm traveling on holiday, I often listen to the Moth podcasts. I really love all the different stories that come from uh, the Moth all over the world. And I guess a little bit of inspiration come from those stories. I think stories is a big part of what uh, I pick up on to listen to or to read. Sometimes I do pick up sort of design process books, but I don't often read them. <laughs> I've given a a few to Victoria to read uh, who's a a sort of more junior designer on the team and uh, but yeah I don't tend to read them the odd blog post here on Medium or something but but nothing uh, yeah I can't think of one sort of volume that says this is the answer there is one very good book which is if you uh, for user testing which uh, I referenced a lot when I was doing it at the very beginning uh, that is called it's not rocket science or something like that. I can send that through. It just literally spells out how to run a user test and that's quite useful. Yeah, brilliant. So as I always do, whenever we get a nice list of resources, listener, please go to SoundCloud, <laughs> do the little uh, bio box, which would be underneath uh, our voices in some form, and there will be a list of resources for you to go and have a look through. Uh, so expect that to be there in real time. Finally, how can people find out more about Open Utility and how can people get in touch with you, like Twitter handle? Yep, Twitter, uh, at Al Tyler. Open Utility, I think it's at Open Utility. Uh, we, do, we do occasionally tweet things. Um, I think joining our newsletter, if you want to have news about where we are, sort of direct your inbox. This year is going to be an interesting year for us, so um, we... We hope to actually start making some revenue, which, if you are in the startup world, is a very exciting time. It's a very exciting time. <laughs> Fingers crossed um, that we that we don't uh, mess up. I'm sure you. Will. I'm sure you'll be absolutely fine. Thank you so much for joining me for today. Thanks uh, for having me. No, more than welcome. And finally, quick update from the Geek Girls. So, uh, I believe in the last podcast, I told you all about our sex tech event which is going to be taking place soon. We've unfortunately had to move the date. So on March 21st, we'll be heading to the Hoxton Hotel for an evening looking at sex tech. So how technology is changing the way we engage romantically and sexually. But ahead of that, on March the 10th, we will be heading to Shoreditch House to celebrate International Women's Day. So if you would like to come along and hear from three inspirational female founders, do head on to geekgirlmeetup.co.uk and find out more. And as always, you can follow us at GGMUK on Twitter and we're Geek Girl Meetup on Facebook. And we'll speak soon.